You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome back to the R-rated sections of the Bible. Um, we're going through Judges, where um, it's basically, you know, we've been going through, uh, you know, a lot of people know about Samson and a little bit about Deborah. We hear about Gideon, only the first part of his story. Um, we just wrapped up with the second part, which is the worst part. Right. And the neglected part. The neglected part. Um but yeah, we're we're going through it and just kind of looking at this stuff and and saying, hey, the Bible's weird. Let's look at it mm-hmm. and not be afraid of the weirdness because there's something there for us to learn, something for us to figure out. Absolutely. And, you know, we do we trust do we trust God with His Bible? Um, well, that's a huge. Okay, so kind of to get a little sidetracked because I've actually seen some discussion online talking about how you can't trust the Bible, and so. I think by going through and actually talking about the parts that people want to neglect, I think it's a reaffirmation that, yes, we can trust what God has put in the Bible, not because it's trustworthy because we say it is, but we, we are just aligning ourselves with that. Mm-hmm. And if we can't trust our Bible, then what can we trust? And right. so we can't be afraid of this book and we can't downplay what's in the book. We need to embrace it all. And I, this is one of my little soapboxes because. It, it it irritates me. We'll just start out. Let's just start out with grandstanding. Right. Let's just go for it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. So, I, no, and I say that to just talk about kind of where we're at, because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you are uh, one of those people who won't go uh, see a movie or, or read a book because of violence and, and sex and things like that, then how do you get through, how the, do you get through the Bible? Um, so, yeah, we're basically... We're agreeing with everyone that the Bible's a weird book, mm-hmm. but we love it. And so... Um, That's what makes it fascinating. Yeah, exactly. So that being said, um, like I said, we just finished up with, with Gideon, the mm-hmm. part of his story that no one likes to tell, where he goes in and, and just basically he's, a, he's, he's a, a warlord and kills a bunch of his own mm-hmm. uh, countrymen and, uh, and, and then uh, establishes himself as king and somewhat priestly role there. Yeah, yeah. And whether or not he actually accepted the title of king, that's kind of up for debate. But functionally, he was definitely acting as king. Yeah, and, and see, I, I, think, I think his statement was ironic. And um, it could be. I, I think he, I, uh, you know, of course, you know, we, we talked about this last episode where it was, oh, I'm not going to be the king. God's going to be ruling through me, kind mm-hmm. of. A, that's how it reads to me, but I, I you think can take that how you will. Definitely political speak. I, I think that's something we can't get around. And, and we do have signs in the Bible that he was, like I said, definitely functioning as the king when, when he collected that tax, when he established a place of worship, when, you know, the, it even says he ruled over the land. Um, right. Now, most translations we talked about last week, again, that he sat in his house, but that means to rule. Right. And this is all important because of where we're going with Abimelech. Um, Abimelech was one of the... the well, well, and further evidence is that Abimelech, you talked about last time, his, his name means my father is king. Exactly. And so this is kind of what gives him the... Um, it, it gives him the reason to do what he's going to do and, and the, the confidence to think that this is something that he deserves. He sees it as part of his birthright as mm-hmm. continuing in the line of Gideon and Abimelech's introduced at the end of chapter eight. And he's the only son. Well, we have one other son who the firstborn who's identified, mm-hmm. but out of the 70 sons that Gideon has, he's the only one at this point who's given a name. Mm-hmm. And so well, I, I think it's kind of interesting that um, he's given a name, but he's given that name by his mother, who was a, a concubine. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of, to me, it kind of seems like, uh, and I don't know if she did this intentionally <laughs> to slight Abimelech, or not Abimelech, uh, uh, Gideon. Gideon. Um, but it kind of seems like 
oh, you're because, you know, OK, so he left her, for those of you who are, haven't who I, I assume you've kind of read through this in preparation, we hope anyway. But, it will help. Um, you know, Gideon left her mm-hmm. um, in Shechem and he lived in Ophrah and that's they're not super close. It's at least a day's walk. Um, maybe more. Maybe a little more. You have it looks like there's some mountains between the two cities. And I, I think that, you know, she kind of did that as kind of a like, oh, well, you're just going to leave me here. Well, I'm going to make sure everyone knows what you did when you were here. It, you're right. Right. And at the same time, it also tells us a little bit about Gideon's power and influence, because if he's has a, a wife in another city, then is he traveling to these cities? Uh, is there a level of respect for him in these cities that he would have a home? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all things that, you know, you kind of have to speculate about and kind of read between the lines. But I think when you, you do slow down and read the Bible and think about what you're reading, you can see hints of things like this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Gideon is, I mean, he was significant. And it wasn't just because he delivered Israel, but because he did rule over them in those following years. And so Abimelech, when he's introduced, not only do we know that, you know, his mother is mentioned, identified as a concubine, Mm -hmm. uh, but he's also connected with Shechem. And these are important points because no other son has this information offered. We don't know who any of the other sons' mothers were. We don't know what cities they were associated with. We just know that they existed. Right. Well, and most of them didn't really live long enough to build a legacy anyway apparently no and we're gonna get into that so as we we go into chapter nine um we're told that abimelech is jerubbabel's son and uh that's a dynastic title um abimelech son of jerubbabel and jerubbabel is gideon's other name the one who contends with baal and he's going to his mother's family in shechem mm-hmm. and he. He's going to the city of his, uh, his mother was definitely a part of, but we also have to remember there's so many connections to Shechem throughout the Bible up to this point. Mm -hmm. It's been very significant when Abraham went into Canaan, this is the first place he builds an altar to God. When Joshua and the children of Israel come into Canaan, they have a renewal ceremony at Shechem. Mm Mm-hmm. This is where Joseph, when he's going to look for his brothers right before he gets sent to Egypt, he goes to Shechem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, the most famous story is the rape of Dina. And this is going to be significant because we do want this tie-in to, to be in the back of our minds as it would have been for anybody in that day. Right. The history of Shechem would have been something that the whole country knew because not only was it important within the city, this played a huge part in the formation of Israel as a nation itself. And we talked about that in Genesis and why the rape of Dina is such a, a major story that mm-hmm. often gets overlooked. So, you know, go back and look at that episode. So, um, you know, this is a place of covenant and violence. It pretty much is what it boils down to. Uh, the, the, the legacy is one of not only renewing your faith and your alignment with God, but also a place where um, the people of God come under attack. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see how this, um, you know, this continues forward. So the first thing that we're told is, you know, basically his mother lives there and she's going to be the first of two women that are going to bookend Shechem's life. I'm sorry, Abimelech's life. (laughs) So a lot of names. There are a ton of names and they're all weird. (laughs) So now it is interesting that she's, she's not named. Um, we don't know why she was just a concubine. That would have been an interesting question to ask because Gideon could have easily made her a wife and decided not to. So why? And what does that tell us about his character at this point? Right. And we're, we're going to find out later that being the son of a concubine actually it has some repercussions, especially as we go forward in judges. Sure. So, um, he's not included in that 70, you know, Gideon had 70 sons. So Abimelech is not included in that number. He's outside that number. He he's 
definitely not included in the family unit. Mm-hmm. And I think we can kind of start to see how that might cause some problems with jealousy. And sure. yeah, and we see this again played out with Japheth later on. So Abimelech goes to this, the men of the city and he has a question for them. And the question is, is it better to have one of us, one of a man from Shechem, one of our family mm-hmm. rule over all of us? Or all of seventy, all seventy of Gideon's sons. Right. Well, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. I I really don't know the answer after reading the rest of the story. <laughs> right. So. Well, it, it's interesting because okay, number one, he's assuming that there is going to be a successor. He doesn't know if it's going to be all seventy sons or if it could just be one, but he's assuming that Gideon is enough of a king that a successor is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, and he, and he asks, is, you know, is it better is it better for one or for 70? And I do think that is kind of an interesting question, especially when you look at it. It's like, well, you got 70 people trying to be leader over this group. Have you ever been in anything led by a committee? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what that's exactly what I think of is is just the slow grinding. Just, you know, and you have mm-hmm. someone coming in saying, oh, we'll do this and then another person coming in and saying, don't do that. Why are you doing that? <laughs> and saying, well, you, I was told to do this by your brother. <laughs> right. So, anyway, well, <laughs> well, yeah, but this, this becomes significant because remember these people are worshiping Baal at this point. Baal is part of this pantheon of gods mm-hmm. and there's 70 brothers and sisters of Baal. So they're going to reject 70 human leaders in favor of one, but they will not accept one God in, instead of worshiping 70. They have, they're worshiping 70 gods instead of worshiping the one okay. true God. Okay. So you've got this inversion of what should be. And that's, I think that's very telling about where the people's hearts are. Why would you accept one human leader when you've already said in religious world, it, it's okay. Hmm. I can accept this. So. To, to show you how ingrained they are in this system of worship, when, when he goes and speaks to them, and most of the translations, I think, in the um, ESV, it says leaders of Shechem. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the Hebrew there actually is Baals of Shechem. They actually okay. have that title of Baal. Interesting. Yeah. Excuse me, I've been talking so much, my throat's going to dry out. So, anyway. This is used as a title for humans in this sense. This is nothing to do. They're not, it's not saying that they are any kind of divine being or what have you. This is like, sir, this is the same mm-hmm. way we'd use Lord sure. in, in the Bible. Sometimes it's used for divine titles. Sometimes it's just used for people. Uh, but I did find it interesting that they're being called by the name of their chosen God. Okay. So they're they're being identified as one, even though it's a secular title. There's still that hint there. So Abimelech makes this appeal. He says, "I'm fle- your flesh and blood. I'm your flesh and bone." I think mm-hmm. it's actually, yeah, you know, we're family. You don't want an outsider to come in. You want someone like us to rule over you. And I think Webb um, he kind of summed it up nicely. And I wanted to. To read his quote here, he said, It was a telling argument in a society where the cohesive power of faithfulness to Yahweh and his covenant with Israel was on the wane, and tribalism, in its worst sense, was on the rise. So mm-hmm. Webb is seeing this as a direct um, consequence of tribalism. Okay. Or, so, or is he seeing it is seeing it as a direct consequence of tribalism, or is he seeing tribalism as a direct con- consequence of, of abandoning Yahweh? That may actually be more accurate, because, I mean, if you view all of the world as God's creation and all of the world as an expression of God's creativity, then there's love and respect. Mm-hmm. But if you think you're the only ones, no matter which God you're following, or there's something that sets you apart that makes you so much more special... Mm-hmm. And, you know, these people, and you're going to, we're going to talk about why they think they're special okay. as Shechemites. Well, and, and, and I think we kind of, I mean, 
not to get too much into politics, but I think we're really seeing a lot of that right now, uh, the current political climate. And I think it's it's really having an effect on the church um, mm-hmm. because especially in America, politics and religion have been so conflated um, overall that it's almost impossible for us to do this show without getting too political at times well, or I am more a... political than we're comfortable with. <laughs> I and, think we're going to go there. <laughs> well, we might have to, but and and. And not to say we're going to pick up a, a political stance, but I think we're going to have to comment on the current state at least. But I, I see this a lot, and it seems to me, and it may just be that I'm paying attention and more, or, or that I'm just, just the the people that I'm listening to, and I'm not. I don't intentionally listen to people who are divisive to try to ramp up my <laughs> tribalism. Actually, I right? listen to people a lot of times I disagree with to try Absolutely. to figure out, you know, what all is out there. Yeah, and. It does seem to me that right now there are so many churches trying to separate themselves from what the other churches are doing. Mm-hmm. And, excuse me, and it's kind of frustrating to me because it doesn't seem to be, it, it, it seems like, and I don't, I don't want to use the overused, uh, worn out term, but it, it it's almost becoming pharisaical among mm-hmm. some churches where oh, but our church is built on this creed that was written so many hundred years ago. And I'm like, but your creed should not replace your Bible, number right. one. Um, if you're more in love with your creed than your Bible, I think you're doing something wrong. Right. Um, but there's also, you know, especially amongst churches that have that um, kind of, oh, we, excuse me, um, the ancient creedal faith. There, there's a. They look down their noses at at other churches, um, like mm-hmm. a lot of the non-denominational churches and even Baptist churches, because mm-hmm. Baptists aren't huge on on creeds and and whatnot. And but, we're not knocking creeds as far as what they were used oh, for no, and the ability think, to teach. It, I, I think they're a great teaching tool. Mm-hmm. I think they're 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 fantastic. But I in think their they're place a, in their yeah in their place. But I think when you when you run into churches that elevate them or even are so familiar with their creed that they can't read what's on the page of the Bible. Right. Um, and again, you know, it, this is kind of person by person and church by church, but a lot of them tend to look down on churches that are not very creedally based. Mm-hmm. And, and they, and I get frustrated with it because I always think of, you know, there's a, there's a story in the, in the gospels where Jesus disciples come and they say, Hey, there were these people who were preaching about you, but mm-hmm. they weren't part of our group. So we told them to stop. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Right. And I really feel like that's where the church is right now. Um, and where it is the tribalism kind of popping up in, mm-hmm. in churches and, and saying, well, you can't preach Jesus because you're not part of the, you know, whatever, right. you know, you're not, you don't believe in the Westminster confession or you don't, have it memorized or you don't have the Heidelberg catechism memorized, you know, so you can't really preach Jesus. Um, I, I feel like that's counter to everything we see Mm -hmm. in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, that's just one story example where Jesus is like, no, if they're not against us, they're for us. And so that's, that's my little soapbox on, on stuff because I, 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 because I do feel like and I know feelings, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, my impression of things from reading the Bible uh, is that God will use whatever he needs to. Yeah. And whatever's available. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like to, to quote the early church fathers, you know, they're ever, ever, you know, there's a ever growing, not ever growing, but there's, I think it's actually kind of died down. There's the debate on baptism, whether you sprinkle or submerge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the church father said, if you have enough water to submerge a person, great. If water is so scarce that you're going to put people in danger by like wasting enough to submerge a person, you know, just use a little water. Yeah. And that's fine. And so I, I think that attitude of the church has been lost. Right. And uh, so we, we need to, to approach people with love and, and go, you know what, maybe, maybe this person heard about jesus in a non-denominational church or heard about jesus at a mega church even <gasps> Gasp. Oh, <no. laughs> um, but that 
sparked some curiosity that let that later leads them to a deeper study and mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. and possibly even into a liturgical setting mm-hmm. um if but i don't think one is or vice versa or vi- yeah exactly <laughs> but i don't think one is any necessarily any better than the other if you're actually preaching jesus and the gospel um so that's yeah, I'm sorry I didn't, to, well, to like well. grandstand, but you know. <laughs> no, we're actually because there's no way we can get away from the story being political, and I, I want to talk about the political infl- implications of what's being shown here in today's society. What we how what principles can we draw out? What mm-hmm. can we use? And I'm not going to tell anyone, okay, well, this is speaking about Trump, or this is speaking about Obama, or this is speaking. I'm not going to do that. I, I think mm-hmm. we can draw that line. What I can do is say, here's some principles. Now you figure out how they're going to apply. To every leader, regardless exactly. of party or affiliation. Right. Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make those stands. I have my political views. And if we were sitting down over coffee, we might talk about them. But, you know, as far as teaching the Bible, you don't need to know my politics right. in order to to listen to Bible discussion from me. And uh, I think more Bible teachers need to embrace that ideology. (laughs) So anyway, uh, but we're going to get there because it it is fascinating. So when, when Abimelech goes to the city of Shechem and he's talking to these bales of Shechem, not only do they agree to support him because he is one of their own, Mm -hmm. they also finance him. And they give him 70 pieces of silver in order to go and kill his brothers. And this is one shekel for each intended victim. This is how much they're worth. Yeah, that's a, that seems like kind of cheap for a murder, personally. I, yeah, absolutely. Not you that think? I've priced them out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was starting to worry there for a minute. I, have, I, I, I don't know anyone I want to murder. I think that's pretty good. Only because it's too much work. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so, all right, but moving on. She said that, not me. <laughs> Go ahead. So, um, now, I think this is very interesting because they're going to go to, um, they, they take the, the money, okay, they take the 70 pieces of silver from Baal Barit, mm-hmm. uh, Baal of the Covenant. Right. And this is for the murder of Gideon's sons. Now, contrast this with the God, Yahweh, the covenantal God, the true God of the covenant, mm-hmm. their covenant was established. His covenant was established with Abraham and Isaac when he tells Abraham not to kill his son. Mm-hmm. And so there's a great disparity in what's going on here. And we're starting to see how far Abimelech and all of his compatriots, how they've fallen from who they should have been. Yeah. And so uh, this this killing of the sons is going to be very important. Um, now, I did want to bring this up because the Bible t- says that Abimelech hires some worthless men. Mm-hmm. And now, is is this uh, a translation? Is this uh, sons of Belial or anything like that? No, but I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be too. <laughs> so I. Yeah, that was actually where I was going with that because I. Um, a lot of times when you see the word worthless in reference to people in the Old Testament, it is sense of Bilal or Bilal. Uh, Bilal. Bilal. Yeah, I always want to say it wrong. I, I, <laughs> Listen okay. to more Miriam Rand. You'll get it. Okay. Well, the problem is <laughs> when I see it written in English. It's, it's spelled, it's in English, it's spelled B-E-L-I-A-L. So it's Belial. Yeah. yeah. And so now if I read it in Hebrew, I'm good. But it's, it's one of those weird connections my brain will not make. Uh, but anyway, that's that is what you're seeing when you see worthless in the Bible, and we see it specifically in First Samuel two verses twelve. And this it's speaking of the sons of Eli mm-hmm. who were priests who were sinning, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about what that sin is when we do Samuel because uh, that's really interesting. And so I decided to look this up in the Hebrew and actually see if this is what it says, and it, it really it just says worthless, but. I wanted to bring that up because I know it's very popular to do word studies mm-hmm. and everybody wants to pull out their strongs and they want to look up an English word and they want to say, oh, well, it's in this verse and this verse and this verse. Well, it may be the same English word, 
but it's not always the same Hebrew word. Right. right. So if you are going to use the Strong's, this is just a little study point. Uh, I don't want to get too deep. If you want to use the Strong's, when you look that word up, if you'll notice alongside of the word, it'll have numbers. Mm -hmm. If it's the same number, then it's the same word. Sure. If it's a different number, it's a different word. So, you know, you can figure out the difference, but just be careful trying to do English word studies and going, oh, this is what it means. Right. Cause it, it, especially because when you can fall into the trap of, a, of, the, of an English etymology um, that you can impose on a, on a word that was translated from Hebrew and the English etymology of a Hebrew word, it, it, it's like... Uh, it, it it amounts to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And because the thing was, if this had been the sense of Lyle or Bial, um, the I know I'm I'm horrible with it. Uh if you if it was that, then the Divine Council worldview tie in would have been just mind blowing. Just just completely obvious. Yeah, I would have had so much fun with that. So um that's what I wanted it to be, but I have to be honest, it wasn't. Yeah. And so I can't make that case with this. So um just wanted to bring that up. So anyway, Abimelech and his men, they go to Gideon's house and they kill all of Abimelech's brothers, except for one. Mm-hmm. And this kid's name is Jotham, and his name means the Lord is perfect or the Lord is honest. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Now, it, in, my, in the ESV, what I was reading, it said that he killed all 70 on one stone. Mm-hmm. So is this... Are you, do you have anything on that? Because yes. that, I was curious about that, like the significance of killing them all on one stone. Is this one big stone or did he actually like one by one put them on an altar and, and you're, you're reading it them? right. Is you're, that? Yeah. We only have this term used for stone specifically. It's in first Samuel 14, 33 through 34. And in that, um, in that passage, it is a stone for slaughtering animals specifically. Okay. And yep. so he, Abimelech took all 70 of these men and he lines them up and he kills them one by one. So he, he, he executed them. He yes. did not, it wasn't just a battle. He mm-hmm. rounded them up, restrained them and then yeah. slaughtered them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they watched, I mean, they, they watched everyone who died before them. And, you know, this, this is a vicious attack. And I can only imagine what it'd be like to, to watch as, you know, you know, I've got three other siblings. That would be horrific enough. But can you imagine being that 69? Why do you assume you're going to be last? Because I'm wonderful. I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking the opposite. I'm like, who did you make that mad that you're going to be the last one? Like, well, that's a, that's more likely a possibility. But, <laughs> uh, you know, if we're going age wise, I'm getting off easy on that one. So, you know, but that's. Yeah, I, I, and it really highlights just the atrocity that Abimelech was willing to commit. Mm-hmm. Because these were not just Gideon's 70 sons. These were his brothers. Yeah, his half-brothers. Yeah, well, in that day and age, most of your brothers and sisters were going to be half-brothers anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he, he is, um, he's not a great guy. And... In case that needed to be said, uh, well, but, and it, it just shows that it was it was not only was it premeditated, which you obviously see mm-hmm. in the earlier verses, but I mean it was it was methodical. Yeah, it it was calculated. It wasn't just it wasn't just being enraged, and mm-hmm. it was. There's no way you can say it was an accident. No, no, you don't. Yeah, none of this was. You backed and... into the knife seven times, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, I stabbed him 57 times. Why? Because I couldn't find the off switch on the electric knife. Okay. Uh, yeah, random Terrible jokes. Joke. I know. So, but this is also very reminiscent of uh, Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 4. And so there's going to be some ties there. Uh, we aren't going to go real deep into them, but I just wanted to point that out. Okay. Um, so if anybody else wants to uh, study it further, they've got the information. So the, the Baals of Shechem and the um, leaders of Beth Milo make Abimelech king. And, and we really don't know anything about Beth Milo or Bet Milo. Um, it, it's just mentioned here. There's no significance to it. Now, this happens at the Oak of the Pillar. 
Mm-hmm. And the fact that these are put together, we, we've already talked about some, how trees are important in sacred space and, mm-hmm. and ritual sites. And, you know, they've been showing up a lot. They're going trees are going to even take on a larger role as we move forward. Um, but it's put together with a pillar, which this pillar would have been a stone used in worshiping Baal. Okay. And so this is telling us that this is a religious and a political event because where, where do you rule from? Well, Deborah ruled at the Oak mm-hmm. and, you know, and Saul gathers his men. So we, we really are seeing that convergence of religion and um, politics. And what's interesting here is we've got this kind of contrast because the people had asked Gideon to be king because he had saved them. Now, Abimelech's becoming king because he was killing. So there, there's a distinction here. Mm-hmm. So, and where Gideon, you know, he kind of did the political speak and refused on the surface. But Abimelech's, no, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, he went into it with the intention of becoming king. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Gideon may have too. At some, at some point, he may have shifted his intentions. Right. But. Well, but the I think the main point here is the motivation of the people. Uh, the people seem to be terrified of Abimelech. Um, that he that show of strength is what caused them to extend the invitation. Mm-hmm. Whereas Gideon, yes, he did kill some of the Israelites at Suthkoth and Peniel. Um, he he did that uh, in the end of his life. We talked about that, but. Before he did that, he had saved them from the Midianites and the oppression that, that they had been going through for seven years. Right. And so one's an act of gratitude and one's, uh, I don't even know if it's necessarily an act of fear as it is an act of awe and respect for what he did. Okay. So um, it's, it, it's, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting parallel, I think, that would, to, to, to truly answer would probably take a lot of psychology. And I don't want to go that deep with the psychology with the text. Yeah, so. Fair enough. So. so what do you got next? So, uh, yeah. So, okay. But this, this story, um, it, it is very much used later in the Bible. Uh, one place it's used is in 2 Kings 10. And this is Yehu when he slaughters Ahab's descendants. Mm-hmm. And you can do a point-by-point alignment. Uh, both the fathers had... Um, been um sorry both had fathers who had murdered fellow countrymen okay so gideon had murdered the people at sukkoth and penile um and then yehu's father had done the same thing both had fathers who sponsored pagan cults Mm -hmm. gideon had built his uh both had fathers who had 70 sons uh the sons are targeted to be killed by ambitious men one's yehu and one is abimelech Mm -hmm. The, the ambitious men negotiate with town leaders to be appointed king, and the sons of the, the current king are brutally killed. Hmm. So, these, you know, of course, these are just the high points. And, but the, the reason why this is important is because this kind of gives us a way to look back at what's happening with Abimelech. Um, Yehu was appointed by God to exact judgment on Ahab. I mean, I think we're, we're all kind of familiar with the fact that Ahab was an evil king. Right, right. And so God had brought him in specifically to put an end to that rule. Now, uh, Yehu wasn't a great king, uh, but he did fulfill God's purposes. And if we read the two stories together, there's a suggestion that maybe Abimelech, even though he wasn't a great guy, he is fulfilling God's purposes to correct the course that Gideon had started by constructing this illicit house of worship that he should have never have done. Okay. And so this is why we have to look at stories in connection with each other to say what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Because just, you know, point of order, someone doesn't become king of Israel unless God allows it. Right. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. So, Abimelech is ruling. Um, Jotham is the one son who got away, mm-hmm. and and he's he's the youngest. 
He doesn't have any power. He doesn't have any might. So he is definitely not in the running to become king. He's mm-hmm. not a real threat to Abimelech at all. Um, but he goes up to Jerizim. Uh, this is the Mount of Blessing is what's called in Joshua 8, 30 through 35. And okay. it overlooks the valley next to Shechem. And if you're standing on that mountain, the, the sound travels. And it it just carries right out across that valley. Matter of fact, there's a a flat space about halfway up that's known as the pulpit of Jotham. Okay. And you can still see it to this day. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, So he says, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. It's a kind of a prophetic kind of feel to this. Mm -hmm. It's not a thus saith the Lord, but it kind of has that same tone and quality to it. But the writer, the writer's kind of sneaky because he doesn't give us, is this a prophetic word? Mm-hmm. He, he's not going to let us in. Is Jotham a prophet? And he makes us keep reading to find out what role this kid is going to play in the events as they unfold. Right. So now it does parallel what we find in Judges 6, verses 7 through 10. You know, that's the unnamed prophet that we discussed who showed up right before Gideon was called, who, who explains to the people, hey, there's a problem here, and the problem is you refuse to obey my voice. And so, you know, you're in trouble because you didn't listen to my voice. Jotham, listen to me so that God will listen to you. Okay, yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah, and so... That prophet in, in chapter six, he, he was bringing a lawsuit against the people of Israel for not following God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jotham's bringing a lawsuit against the people for killing his brothers. Right. So, again, we, we're posing these questions. Is not following God, it, does this result in the death of your brothers? And how does that violence, the uh, violence in a community and culture, how does that play out? whenever God's not being worshiped. And so something, just something to consider. And yeah. so he uses, uh, this is mostly identified as a fable. Um, and, and he's, we also know this is very much, uh, fables and parables. Mm-hmm. These are very much prophetic speak. This is how prophets communicate truths that people don't want to hear. Yeah. So he yeah, basically tells an interesting story about trees. Right. Where... <laughs> so strange. It, it, and, it, yeah. and, and basically, you know, I mean, this, the story is the trees say, we're going to anoint one king over us. And they go to one, uh, what do they, who do they go to first? The, ol- was the, the olive? olive olive tree? Mm-hmm. Or is it the fig? Yeah, they the go to olive. the olive tree and the olive tree says, I'm not going to give up my fruit in order to, to take the kingship. Uh, they go to then to the uh, the fig tree. The fig tree basically says the same thing. Um, and then who is it? Who the find... grape? They go to the grape. Okay, yeah. And then the bramble. Okay. And the bramble said to the trees, "If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon." Now, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> A whole nother character who was not there before. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we know that in the Bible, in you know, we've got Psalms 91.1 and Lamentations 4.20, and there's other verses. One of the, the roles of a king is to provide shade. Mm-hmm. And so what's the one thing a bramble cannot do? Provide shade. Yeah. And so um, the bramble is making a promise it can't keep. Right. And it's telling the people if, you know, if you don't appreciate the shade I'm giving you, the non-existent shade I'm giving you, then you need to be burned up. Uh, It's a ridiculous statement. Mm -hmm. And this has been, this story is just crazy because the olive, the fig and the grape, basically they say, hey, we're doing what we were created to do. Mm -hmm. We, We have a destiny. We have a mission to fulfill. And we're content doing it. And the bramble says, you know, I, sure, I've got nothing better to do with my time. <laughs> um, so I, 
it, it's got some some significance in how we view political uh, leaders. And basically what what Jotham is saying... He, he's, he's basically, he's saying that Abimelech is full of empty promises. Yeah, he, yeah. And he's saying that, you know, he's not fulfilling his God-appointed role. Um, my father, he fought for you. He risked his life for you. He, he delivered you from the Midianites. And you allowed his sons to be killed. Not one of you spoke up. Not one of you tried to prevent my brothers from being slaughtered. And, you know, if this was the right thing, if this was a good thing, great. Uh, more power to you. But if it's not proper, then God is going to exact judgment. And let the fire come out of Abimelech and, and devour. Mm-hmm. So um, notice who he's addressing here. He's not addressing Abimelech. He's not talking to Abimelech at all. He's talking to the people. Mm-hmm. He's talking to the leaders of Shechem. And he's not saying it's bad for there to be a king. He, he's renouncing the methodology mm-hmm. of the kingship. Um, and, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading this is, it seems like so often in the Bible when there's a problem, the problem's not so much in the act it's in inappropriate timing, not mm-hmm. all the time, but or, a or lot attitude, of, right? Well, a lot of times, like Adam and Eve, and knowledge of good and evil, um, was God going to keep them ignorant? I don't think so. Right. Uh, premarital sex, uh, premarital—that's the problem. Um, you know, Jesus is being offered the kingdoms of the world. We talked about in the, that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not that Jesus isn't going to be king over all the world, but the timing wasn't wasn't right. So a little fun with fables for us, um, you know, in the ancient Near Eastern context, um, kingship was not a bad thing. It was almost necessary. Right. Every king took from the people, just like every government today collects taxes. Mm-hmm. Evil kings took from the gods. And this is where the problem comes in is whenever people start taking from God, what is his? And we definitely see that with Eli and his sons in first Samuel. Um, just as the olive and the fig and the grape were too busy being productive, mm-hmm. there's, they didn't have time for a political agenda. And so I think sometimes we, we need to stop and think, or if we're being productive, doing what God has called us to do, do we have time for a political agenda? <laughs> uh, just fair enough. Something and, and and not saying don't be involved in politics, right? But don't let your don't let your politics drive your religion. It, exactly, exactly. And then you know, I, I bring it up again. The bramble he had no shade to offer, even though that's what he promised to his people. So are we listening to um, promises that can't be delivered on, and mm-hmm. from our politicians and buying into that? But in the process of believing that promise, that false promise from Abimelech, the people get the leader they deserve. I mean, the people had betrayed Gideon. Mm-hmm. They had um, they had allowed Gideon's family to be slaughtered, and they're going to turn on Abimelech. And, well, and Abimelech's going to turn on them. Yeah, well, and, and it, it's kind of interesting, too, hearing uh, from Jotham. It's almost like the everything up to Jotham's speech is kind of uh, one side of the story, mm-hmm. and the, the side that maybe the people of Shechem wanted to hear, want everyone to hear, or that Abimelech wants everyone to hear. That oh, Abimelech was so benevolent, he just went to the leaders and said, "Hey, I see you're having trouble here. Let me help you out." But Jotham's kind of like, "No, that's not how the story goes. You went looking for someone." Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. You know, you you posted up a job ad, and, and you said we need. You know, it's it, it. That's what it sounds like to me. The way that it's going is is Jotham's going. No, you want everyone to believe that that it, that Abimelech was just so great and so concerned about everyone. Didn't but, want there to be chaos mm-hmm. or confusion. Yeah, but no, you you were looking for someone to to do your dirty work for you. Well, and, and someone who's going to promote Shechem as, as being this great city and preserving their customs and ideals. And that's really the huge um, push that's happening with them because uh, w- as we go further, we're going to find out that this I- 
identity as being one of the Shechemites is huge. And it's going to play into how they approach the rest of um, what they do as far as um, accepting the role of Abimelech or rejecting the role of Abimelech. Mm. Because not only did Abimelech or did the people get the leader they deserved, Abimelech got the people he deserved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so everybody winds up turning on each other. And, and you really the, the bottom line is worthless people get worthless rulers. Right. And that should be something that should kind of shake us up a bit. Yeah. Well, um, but not to harp on that too much, but just <laughs> let everyone kind of think of that on their own time. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think it's interesting in verse 18. Um, do you want to read that right quick? Um, Judges 918. Mm-hmm. Let me find it real quick. 16, 17. And you have risen up against my father's house this day, and you have killed my, his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the, uh, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because, it is, uh, because he is your relative. Yeah. And so basically it's saying... Um, you didn't care, you didn't care what his resume was. Um, you just knew he was related to you. Um, so pretty strong warning against nepotism for the sake of nepotism. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it identifies that there's a loss of integrity. This is why they did it Mm -hmm. because they had been loyal to Gideon for a time when Gideon was useful. Right. But then they turned on him and, and he, he concludes with the warning that, you know, Abimelech's not worthy of kingship. And that they should be destroyed by fire mm-hmm. for accepting his, his leadership. So um, Jotham, at this point, he flees to a place called Beer, which li- literally means well. Okay. And it, it's a um, just a place at the edge of the desert. But I almost said, as so many people often do, <laughs> right. go flee to, your, to beer. But that's different. <laughs> that's a different beer. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, the writer really leaves us with this, this wonder uh, and this, this curiosity. What is Jotham doing? Is he a prophetic voice? Is he just a kid who lost his family and is, you know, it, giving voice to his anguish and, and frustration at the situation? We, we really aren't told anything until we move further into the story. So... As we move in, uh, this is verse 22. Abimelech, we're told right off the bat, he's, he rules three years. The time period's given up front. This is unusual. With the rest of the judges, we're told at the end of their okay. story that, you know, and there was peace for 40 years and there was peace for 80 years and, and all of these things happen. And so there, there is kind of this, um, this reversal here that should tip us off as we read the rest of the story. Mm-hmm that the writer is giving us some significant information. Um, there's no dramatic buildup, whether he's going to be successful or not. You know, with the other judges, you kind of, you follow their story and you want to see how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get that. The people don't cry out for help. Uh, there's no call to God at this point. He's just, he appoints himself. Um, God doesn't raise Abimelech up. Uh, this is, a, a fully man-made situation. Okay. And this indicates that there's some, there's a different dynamic going on here than there has been with the other judges, because, you know, in the rest of the stories, God is intervening in the events that are happening. But at this point, God's not intervening. He, he, he doesn't step in to save the day. And it, it's almost like, okay, I'll protect you from foreign nations coming in with their foreign gods. And I'll, I'll try to save the, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. not I'll try, I will save you from them. Right. But this internal mess that y'all have made, y'all need to work it out. Yeah. Well, it's like, you, you know, you, you can only tell a child so many times, don't touch the hot pan. Right. Um, you know, before you're just worn out and you just go, <laughs> okay, I've told you, if you touch the hot pan, you're going to learn why. <laughs> right. One time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and that, that's the thing. I mean, they, they are learning some, some lessons here because I, I, we've forgotten that at this point, 
God's appointed leader, Gideon, had established a place of worship that was not sanctioned by God. Mm -hmm. He had built the sacred space. He had multiplied wives for himself. He had collected these taxes from the people. Everything that Deuteronomy kings are told not to do. And so Gideon has set something in motion that has to be stopped for the good of Israel. And God is like, I can make it stop, but I'm going to do it through natural consequences. I really don't have to get all that involved here. Now, he does get involved, but it's interesting in how he gets involved. Um, but this is, Abimelech's rule really is, it's, it's a man-made product. Um, and it, the two things that are, are important to remember is it includes the, the death of his brothers mm-hmm. and rebellion against his father. Right. So these are going to be important themes as we move forward. Yeah. Now, I do think it's interesting in verse 22, uh-huh. it starts with a, a very interesting statement. It says, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. Right. And this is actually, there's, there's another section of the Bible where we do see uh, uh, with Saul. First we, Samuel 16. Yeah. I, I'm sure you have that in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's interesting because we see that statement when God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of those weird verses where a lot of times, especially if we're reading it not in necessarily a divine counsel worldview, where you're like, man, that just seems really weird. Like, why God sent an evil spirit. Right. And so. And especially because we, we have that retelling of the story uh, for with Saul, where mm-hmm. once it's. There's an evil spirit. Well, I'm sorry, not Saul. I'm thinking of a different verse, a, a st- different story where um, David numbers the troops. Mm-hmm. Where we have once in Kings, where David numbers the troops because God tells him to. Tells him to. Right. And then we have it in Chronicles where uh, an evil spirit provokes, or I think it's Satan. One of the something evil, an evil yeah. entity provokes him to um, numbering the troops. But that's. These kinds of texts cause problems for a lot of believers because it seems crazy that God would have some kind of dealing with these quote unquote evil spirits. Yeah. Well, and 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 again, it's it's taking uh, it's it's taking some hyperbolic statements and and then making them absolutes. Like you know, God cannot be in the presence of evil, or God cannot even look upon evil. Mm-hmm. Um, where those are meant to be. Um, symbolic of and and uh, right. It's like uh, saying it's, it's like a superlative of a statement of God's holiness. It's it's hyperbolic in a way that to to say that he's that he can't abide or condone evil. Right. Um. Whereas you know saying oh he can't even look upon evil. Well then that means he doesn't know your situation. Right. It's like um, saying a doctor can't be in the presence of someone who's injured or ill. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. Exactly. And so, so yeah, that, and I think that part kind of sets off a lot of the confusion mm-hmm. um, whenever you start taking those statements as a, in a hyper literal sense. Well, and also we've got to remember what we, we mean by evil here. Um, because once again, evil in the Bible isn't necessarily just something you don't like. Right. The, evil is something that causes harm. Mm-hmm. Now, that can, is not necessarily something that's immoral or uh, wicked in the way we think of uh, being on it in its essence, mm-hmm. but in its function, it causes harm. Right. So this evil spirit, it's causing harm to Abimelech, just like that evil spirit caused harm to Saul. But there is purpose behind it. God mm-hmm. is doing something in that to bring about what he wants to... Uh, you know, manifest in this world. Mm-hmm. And well, and, and it's kind of the hyper spiritualized, over westernized view of a lot of this stuff. You know, it's like even, you know, even uh, this is one of my favorite examples of how we take these words and we, we attach a meaning to them that, that were, were never intended, like Satan mm-hmm. uh, or Satan, as we would say it, uh, where, uh, and, and I still, I, I'm stealing your example. <laughs> this is, but I think this is great because we, Think of the word Satan as this just steeped in evil character uh, who's, it's just, I, I, I can't even think of a good way to explain this, but 
but in the use of of the Hebrew use of it, you actually have uh, in the story of Balaam, which mm-hmm. we reference that story a lot. Well, it's just so instructive. I mean, <laughs> but in the story of, of Balaam, um, you know, when when the angel of the Lord is there, and he says he's in the Hebrew, he says he sets himself as a Satan right. against Balaam, and so we see God acting and fulfilling this role, and so we mm-hmm. the word. You know, we need to take some of the bite out of that word, right? And and put it in its proper place, particularly in the Old Testament, and because in the Old Testament it, it's not the the red pajamas and pitchfork. You know, it, it it really is just someone who stands in your way. And what we need to remember when we're looking at this this evil spirit here, this is very fitting because God's had dominion over spirits and demons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether we're talking the other Canaanite gods or Yahweh himself, he had the, the ability to command spirits and their primary role in this culture was to execute judgment, Mm -hmm. particularly against Kings. And they, they were always subservient to a God greater than themselves. And their, their primary methodology of, executing judgment uh, in ancient Near Eastern culture was uh, to inflict illness. And this is the reason why illness was cured by exorcism so often in those cultures. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in this case, you know, God's saying, no, you're, you're going to actually go and stir up strife in the middle mm-hmm. of Abimelech and the, these leaders. And I think one of the things we need to remember is God is sovereign. Everything serves him. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to do as he wants it to do. Now, does that mean, you know, meticulous determination? I don't think so. But I think at the same time, there is the ability to redeem and the ability to influence in ways that still allows us to have free will. Mm -hmm. And, And in this situation, God isn't really controlling the situation as much as he's he's kind of inserting a catalyst. Fair enough. And so you know, he, he's like, ah, we're almost to the tipping point. Let's just put a little pinch of this in. And this is, we're, we're being told this because we need to know that what's getting ready to happen next is God's design. Mm-hmm. And that Abimelech was not the chosen leader because at this point we really, yes, he did kill his brothers, but in this culture, is that really that bad of a thing to do? Uh, I mean, we can go through Kings and we can look at the, in the book of Kings and look at where other leaders did this and they did rule over Israel. Right. And is this a bad thing? And I, I think it is. I, well, but, I, yeah, but when we get but that, you're, but you're saying the way that the culture would understand it, it mm-hmm. wouldn't seem that weird to them. Yes, exactly. And so this is letting us know that God has picked a side and God is saying, there's something wrong here that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And that's why this evil spirit is introduced into the story. And so, and you know, and the result is that Abimelech and his men, they're, they're going to have some massive problems and it's all going to blow up in Abimelech's face and it's going to blow up in the faces of the leaders of Shechem and itself. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, the story just continues to get even more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was that, what we got for this week i i think they'll do us good for this week and then we're going to move forward um with uh the next person on the scene who (laughs) has a very interesting name gael and we're going to talk about his uh interaction with abimelech and what he manages to accomplish okay cool yeah that yeah the rest of the story is just (laughs) i mean it's already kind of nuts but the rest of it just goes well, completely and I, off the rails and ends in a actually kind of a anticlimactic. It, it does. So uh, we'll get to that next week. And uh, everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, please like and share us. Um, share, share, share. That's uh, probably the best way to mm-hmm. help us out if you want to. Um, if you leave us a review. Yeah, write us a review. Rate us on iTunes. Um, that helps other people find us. Mm-hmm. Um. If you are interested in uh, some of Emily's blog posts and writings, head over to Raven Creek SC, um, get you some more information, uh, some different things that we're up to. 
If you want to interact with us, uh, social media is the best way at Raven Creek SC. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I think that's uh, the best way to get a hold of us, the best way to, uh, to be part of what's going on over here. We're glad you're joining us, and we'll see everyone next week. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.